Welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Recap Show for Season 13, Episode 7, titled Bossy Rossi The Reboot. My name is Joe Batanz, and I am joined, as always, by one bossy bottom of a co-host. <laughs> From the podcast pod is my co-pilot. Please say... The baby's coming! To Taylor, the latte boy. Hello, Taylor, the latte boy. Hello, Joe Batanz. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Like, um, that is, you know, I think I've talked about this before on this show at this very moment. Is In stand-up comedy, especially when you host a show, there's a thing where, like, you talk to the comedians, you know, at the bar. And then you go, okay, I'm going to go bring right. you up. And then you go, you know, come into the stage, chain the latte boy. And then you walk up stage and I shake your hand as if we haven't seen each other one second ago. Right? <laughs> and it's the same thing here is that, like, you and I just had... About an hour, no, yeah, almost an hour of talking. Almost an hour, yeah. Because we did, yeah. there, there was like a, a just shooting the shit, and then we did Just Between Us Girls. And if you want to hear all this extra content, there's only one place you can get it. That's over at the Afterthought, uh, Afterthought Media's Patreon page, patreon.com slash Afterthought Media. As everyone knows, so much extra content, even surprise shows, Taylor. We dropped a special Valentine's episode that people are loving. You know, they really yes. liked this uh, newlywed game we did with some afterthought media personalities. You were on there with your husband. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time had by all. But, uh, Taylor, you know, I have not watched the latest episode of Drag Race UK. But, <sighs> but if, it, you know, we the Drag Race UK boys, it, it's just by coincidence have a big episode today because not only are they gonna be talking about this episode which you're going to talk about in a second but also they're going to have former contestant season one drag race uk season one contestant crystal is going to come on and give her thoughts on everything so it's going to be a big 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 episode uh, of that show i i am looking forward to listening to that episode in particular um, in April or May when I finally get around to it. Uh, but it is... Uh, th- 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 this week's Drag Race UK was awesome. Was I knew something had happened because I got a text from a friend of mine that just said OMG RuPaul on Drag Race UK with like the big eyes emoji. And I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. I'm still at work. And I'm like kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the big moment <laughs> happens and it was very like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Um it was it was it was a good episode. Plus, just with everything with the COVID and and all that kind of stuff was just it was it made for a it made for a very interesting episode compared to other episodes of Drag Race that I've seen this week. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna get right into it. But by the way, you don't need to be on Patreon for that. That's gonna be on the public feed. Make sure and check it out. All right, Taylor. This week, the library is open for this season's reading challenge. Got Mick read her sisters for filth and wins for the maxi challenge. The queens are sorted into groups for the reboot of the Rossi, uh, the Bossy Rossi show. Olivia and Simone shine while Utica and Elliot flounder on the runway. The category is bead it, you know, for beads. Later, Olivia Lux rises above the competition and wins. Meanwhile, Elliot and Lala Ree are left in the bottom two after a lip sync battle for their lives. Elliot with two T's is told Shantae you stay. While Lala Ree is asked to sashay away, Taylor the Latte Boy, give me two things you liked about the episode and one thing you did not. I felt like, and this is a combination, this is, um, let's see, 
Yeah. Two things I like to the episode. I had to think about this last night because sure. I knew that that was I knew that this was coming. I would say that uh, some of the looks, some of the runway looks were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought some of some of which were okay, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I a couple of them like where my husband and I actually commented like that is that is gorgeous mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I would say for as much as me not being a fan of Tina, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that her conversation with Elliot sort of made me I, I don't I don't hate her anymore. I just maybe dislike her. Like it was sort of like a where she didn't seem to be as over the top, which is funny because well I'll, well we'll get into that when we get to that part. But um and also to some level I think that the uh candy having to lip sync for her life sort of humanized her a little bit on Untucked this week. I know I told you not, not to bother with Untucked. Actually, I don't think I told you one way or the other, but yeah. nothing really happened other than that she was just, she seemed where she's normally at like a 10, she was at maybe a four okay. this week. And it made me where she was not as over the, t- I mean, she still talks over people and stuff, but it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't as bad. So I, I appreciated that as the group gets smaller. Um, and some of the ones that I really have liked watching are going away. This has helped been giving me some comfort that maybe, maybe I will end up being like a Tina Burner fan or something like, probably not, but I will, maybe I will. Who knows? Yeah. The thing I did not like was, I feel like we talk about this every season now, but the reading challenge has to go. I get that it's something they look forward to, but the jokes are, the jokes are horrible. They seem, it's not fun anymore. Like you get excited for it when you see that it's going to be the reading challenge and you kind of hope that it's going to be really good. And with the exception of one or two jokes, it was just, it was just people insulting one another. It wasn't fun to me. So I would say, I would say let's, uh, let, let's do something like they did last season where they had to, where they had to kind of be bitchy to one another at the table with the, with the, uh, whatever that box was, the birch box or whatever. Um, I would rather see something like that than just the plain old reading challenge with the glasses and them all standing in line. What about you? You're going to disagree here. I actually think, whether you think the jokes are funny or not, that this reading challenge, and I was actually very surprised by this, was better than it has been in the past three or four or five years. That girls actually, because the problem with the ones, see, I think the reading challenge is about coming for them. And is about insulting them. And the past three or four years, you've had this RuPaul's best friends race. And the girls say, like, you know, like, uh, Evie Oddly, you're so odd. And you're like, that's not a, that's not a read. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Where I felt like whether they, whether they failed or succeeded, these girls came to play and they actually tried. To, my hands are so dry. My, um, I'm picking at the skin. How dry so are they? They're so dry, <laughs> kind of like your vagina. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, but what I was going to say is I actually really appreciate it. Even, even Elliot's complete fail, she went for it and she failed. There were, I think, only like, maybe Utica, I don't remember. Only they, there was only certain people who went for the nice route. You know, mm-hmm. most of them were actually really trying to read them. And I, A for effort. And I think a lot, Gottmik, I felt really succeeded. And, uh, I thought she deserved the win. Elliot tried, but failed miserably. I actually, to be honest with you, is probably one of my favorite, not my favorite reading challenges, but I really appreciated that it was the first time in a few seasons that we've actually seen a real, the girls really trying to read them. That said, 
by the way, on the rumor mill, which you only get at patreon.com slash afterthought media, it's a rumor mill, it's a reading, I mean, it's a Patreon show. Lori and I, in detail, and I'll bring this up again later, are going to go over, because you know, I don't know if you know this, Taylor. Lori Roggenkamp is a goddess, an icon in the world of the Los Angeles comedy and improv scene. So, right. So we would want to get. She is the funniest person in Orange County. She is the funniest person in Orange County. And I think also California's funniest female. And um, she, I want her to weigh in on the reading challenge. I want her to weigh in on the maxi challenge, the improv challenge, where she will give. So we're going to do a deep dive into that on tomorrow's rumor mill. Okay. So we will do deep, deep like dives, like really, really analyze it uh, from because I want her perspective on that. Uh, on the on the flip side, you know what's so funny is I wrote down what I liked afterwards. Um, I wrote maxi challenge. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. If I'm being honest with you, and I, this is not a shady thing. Uh, it's funny because the episode was fine. The episode was yeah. fine. Like, there was nothing wrong with it. It was completely serviceable. Um, but I have more things that I disliked than I liked. Um, like, I was going to put that I liked the maxi challenge. But now that I think about it and we'll get into it, I have problems with the maxi challenge. Enough where I, couldn't, I can't say. Here's what I'll say. Once again, just like the, with the reading challenge, I'll, I'll keep it here. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll reword what I was going to say. In terms of the maxi challenge, the girls were here to play. And again, they knew they were expecting this, and even even the ones who were supposedly bad were not that bad. We've seen worse, you know. Uh, there are a couple of stinkers, you know, but you know we'll yeah. get we'll get to it. But for the most part, like, look, to be honest with you, this is where I said there are more things I disliked than I liked. It, okay, so what I let me get to what I didn't like, and then we'll why well, I, I said there's more things I disliked. This is a, a small uh, symptom of a larger problem. There is no way any sane person thought that Elliot won that lip sync. 100% Lala Ree won that lip sync in my book. You're making a you face. Think? Yes. To me, Lala Ree 100% won that lip sync. They tried as much as possible. And so we're going to get, I'm going to have, I have a bigger rant planned for this, but. The producer and editors are working overtime to shape this story. And I actually think the producers and the editors have competing storylines, which I think makes this show confusing. You know, what I mean is I think the editors hate Candy and Tina. And I think the producers Mm -hmm. love Candy and Tina and Elliot for some reason. And you're seeing them clash. But... Uh, if you watch that lip sync, there like there are moments where you can see Lala's doing some fierce things, and the camera's not focused on her. They're not showing that moment. They're showing Elliot. So Elliot won because she did a couple of death drops and splits. I don't know. So I I I was watching that the whole time. You know, be, Taylor on the rumor mill, we discussed spoilers, so I knew Lala was going home. Okay. Okay. So the whole time I'm watching it with that eye going like, oh, wait, how? I mean, I know Lala's going home, but. Uh, that is fucking ridiculous. She's winning this lip sync. So what, you know, and so another thing I don't like, and that goes back to what we're talking about, the maxi challenge, the producer and the editors, like going back to the maxi challenge, like, I don't, Olivia was fine, but I thought actually 
Uh, well, we'll talk about all this when we get into the show. I'm, I'm doing the whole show right now. You know, I'm pulling, yeah. I'm pulling a lorry. All right. <laughs> Let's get into this. After Tamisha's elimination. This is the episode Betty White won an Emmy for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After Tamisha's elimination, Candy feels mixed emotions about sending Tamisha home, and Elliot feels isolated from the group. Meanwhile, the queens tease Elliot about the TT curse. Every queen that works with Elliot seems to go home. Taylor, for this, um, Act one, if you will, of the episode. Do you have any big thoughts here about Candy and her mixed emotions and and whatnot about uh, and uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think this is sort of where if you're not watching un- if you're not watching Untucked, you're not getting the whole story. Uh, considering what she said about Tamisha in the beginning of the episode, we didn't really see. You didn't really get that unless you watch Untucked how she was upset, considering how they talked about how they were fighting all the last episode. So for her to kind of – I get that being you know in the bottom two definitely seemed to humble Candy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the sadness of sending Tamisha home, if you weren't watching Untucked, you really didn't – I don't know that you would have necessarily gotten that. That's yeah. sort of why I feel like Untucked – should be folded into the episode in some way. I feel, I feel as though that rather than, you know, even if they break it up of where the girls that are safe, that they go and kind of hang out and then they show the deliberations and then they bring all the other girls back and then they do everything. I know that you have said that you didn't think that was a good idea in the past, but it would make more sense story wise, story wise to do something like that. Um, uh, but I also think that. So maybe maybe we're seeing, you know, I talked about a little bit in the beginning of the season, the arc of Candy Muse or the potential arc of Candy Muse of where they're going to humble her a little bit. And then she's not going to be quite as abrasive as she's been over the last few episodes. And maybe we're starting to see that a little bit with her because she wasn't as over the top through the through like even like planning the characters and stuff that they were going to be playing in in the skit. Uh, as far as the Elliot stuff with the TT curse and all of that, I felt like they were definitely, uh, phoning ahead, sort of phoning ahead. That's not the right way, but, but, you know, they were, they were, they were telegraphing that she was either going to be in the bottom or that she was going home. I thought with that, with her talking about, I keep, all these girls keep going, you know, leaving when they're in a group with me and it makes me feel bad and I don't know and blah, 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 blah. To get, to donate that much energy to the beginning of that first act about that, that was pretty much saying, well, she's not going to do very well this this episode yeah you know for casual fans what's really interesting i would love to talk to and which which by the way i want to state for the record i've said this before there are far more casual fans of this show than there are hardcore fans and what i mean by casual fan is you know our friend adam burns is a perfect example adam burns friday night with his boyfriend watches rupaul's drag race Shuts it off. Doesn't go to any subreddits about it. Doesn't uh, listen to a podcast about it. Does just watches the show, enjoys it for what it is. The end. Mm-hmm. And anyone who is more than a casual fan will know that Elliot has been embroiled in a controversy post filming, where uh, Elliot, uh, what, we talked about this actually in. Um, in our Just Between Us Girls, this, this sort of thing, but old tweets, but not actually that old, and actually current things that have happened uh, of quote-unquote microaggressions on Elliot's part have surfaced. 
and okay. making Elliot's uh, position well outside the show. Like, well, what do you do? Because there's there's some clearly Elliot has uh, problems discussing race. I'll say I don't want to put I don't want to try to go into Elliot's brain, but is insensitive in his discussions about race. Okay, and so uh, it, it, it's one of these things where the show though looks at Elliot in a very sensitive light. Whoever's behind this. Um, clear, like the producers clearly like Elliot because I don't think Elliot should have been saved this week. What's funny though is I don't even think Elliot should have been really in the bottom. Okay. But they put him in the bottom and, uh, but knowing these other things, how the show's taking a sensitive, uh, view of Elliot. And I want to get to that when we get to the elimination day is, is it sort of seems weird. There seems to be, in contrast to what we know outside of the show and post post show, the problems that Elliot's been having. Um, speaking of Candy Ho and Tamisha, now I have I I don't really watch Untucked because I have so much going on that unless something happens to me, I find most of Untucked to be a waste of time. You know, and I don't know what happened on last night's episode of Untucked, but um, or the week before because maybe you can fill me in this. Uh, Candy Muse, uh, re- not regret, but mixed emotions about saying Tamisha home is not in line with the story that we've seen on the show. And I actually see it that the producers, as we'll come to this episode in particular, have a thing for Candy Muse where they just love her, I think, because she causes drama. And so now they're starting to sh- try to shape the narrative arc where they're trying to like now make us fall in love with Candy Muse and see, oh, she sees she's not a bad person, but something's happening here. And we'll, we'll get again, I'll talk about it in more in depth later where either the producers love Candy Muse and the editors hate her or there's something going on here. But what are your thoughts on this Candy Muse? Can you fill me in on something? What am I missing here? Because it does seem like a weird hard left. When they were in Untucked, Lala was talking about how she feels like she had given everything she had left to give and that there was nothing left for her to do. And Candy, in particular, was very um, supportive and talking about how amazing she was and talking and like and not just in a it you know in a way to where a lot of times we see these girls where they are supportive, but in a way to bring it back to themselves. She seemed very nurturing. Um, and then at one point, Elliot was pretty upset and just kind of walked away to get do her own thing. And Candy walked over to her, too, and had a private conversation with her where they, they where she was being supportive of her as well. And she said, you know, we know you can turn it out. She goes, this is only your first time, you know, having to lip sync. You know, you're going to do great. And And saying things that I thought were kind, especially considering the fact that she and Elliot haven't necessarily had a great relationship so far on the show um now and this all could have been self-serving this all could have been where she realized oh this gives me a chance to kind of redeem myself after the screaming and yelling um or you know oh wait a second elliot just walked over there i could get some more camera time if i walk over and talk to her just she and i because she's clearly upset those could be i'm not in the head of candy muse but it did definitely make it where you sort of were like okay maybe she's not as much of a nightmare as we're making her out to be but that's, you know, you're kind of making my point, which is what we're seeing here and why 
to me at least, the season feels very unsettling. And it feels that there are two different camps who have two different views on Candy Muse and shows you the power of perspective. Because one of the things, there, there are so many different angles. So it could be, are the producers on set, do they have a better sense of the complete Candy Muse? And so they, <laughs> they've seen this side multiple times, but the editors and the post-production editors, you know, because there's also producers for the post stuff. They are, you know, they have one view, you know, and so they didn't show us that. Or maybe just as the editors in service to the storyline have neglected that because the the editors and the people in the post-production want to build this storyline. So so they've neglected to show us Candy's more human side until it was... uh, at, at, in their best interest to sh- to change the arc of Candy's story, then now we get maybe there have been other human sides of this. That's why I'm saying it, 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 that's why I, I don't think I brought this up last week. I think I brought it up on another show. Is uh, you know, World of Wonder came out with this statement where they were like, "Oh, you know, don't come after our queens. You know, only love our queens." And there was a part of me that like, go fuck yourself, World of Wonder. You're the one that puts the image out there. You know, you're the right. one that puts this out there and don't say, "Oh, what are you doing? Why are you coming for them? You made them villains." And yeah. now you're attacking them for attacking the villain. Yeah. You know. And so, it's like if Fox News were to say like, Oh my gosh, why are you hating? Don't hate Nancy Pelosi. Well, you're the one that painted Nancy Pelosi like a villain. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, uh, but I, I, so that's why I'm saying like, and this, again, this episode, we'll see too with this, with this, um, what happens in today's episode, and we'll see it more today where the editors fe- clearly feel one thing and the producers feel another about Candy Muse. I feel that there's, they, they can't agree. And we'll see on this episode. So maybe there is a complete picture. And so maybe, and look, and by the way, you know this and I know this. Uh, we talk, look, I still hate Candy Muse, right? Look, I'm not going <laughs> to ever give up on this. Uh... I hate candy. Um, But what I'm going to tell you, though, is that I hate the character Candy Muse that they've portrayed on the show, but you and I both know that there are co- nobody is like that all the time. You couldn't, you couldn't exist. Right? They're complete right. people, you know. Yes. And so, uh, and motivations are complex, and and why people do things. Uh, all right, let's move on. Let's, have, 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 have anything you want to say? We exhausted this topic. All right, here we go. We've exhausted it. All right, in the workroom, Rosé discusses her weird dreams before RuPaul enters the work. Oh, speaking of weird dreams, and I haven't told this person that because Larry Flick is in the process of moving to Wales. I had a sex dream last night that involved Larry Flick. Oh, yeah, I'll tell. Okay, you. I'll talk about it later. I should, t- I should have talked about it on just between us girls. All right. <laughs> Candy feels mixed emotions. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, Rosé discusses her weird dreams before RuPaul enters the workroom to announce this week's mini challenge. The library is open for the reading challenge. Elliot Bond will got mixed crushes and walks away with the win. Next, RuPaul. You know what? Let's stop right there at the discussion point. Let's talk about the reading challenge. You did not like the reading challenge. I did not like it. I thought a lot of the jokes were sloppy. Okay. They they weren't. I mean, I, I will the joke about, and not just because we have pugs in the house, but Gottmik's joke about gay trans pug did make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there was one other one that made me laugh that I could think of. Of course, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they just didn't. There wasn't. There, there didn't seem to be the thing that uh, when you see people read each other, it's. There, there needs there needs to be some cleverness to it, and a lot of the jokes did not feel clever to me. They just kind of felt like you're just throwing insults at one another, uh-huh. or you have to be quick. Like for example, Gottmik made the joke to Tina, where she where Tina said tight end, and that fast Gottmik said not what I heard. You know where she was she was you're able to do that back and forth of reading. To some degree, there should be a volley back and forth of where you say something kind of shitty to me, I say something shitty back to you, and we both laugh about it. A lot of these, I guess, you know, similar to the thing that was last season with them, you know, the women meeting for lunch, the queens meeting for lunch kind of thing, or they could kind of go back and forth. That sort of thing I enjoy more than than what this has turned into. Well, you know what's so funny? Like I said, I still stand by what I said. This reading challenge is stronger than it has been in at least four years or five years, right? That said... Uh, look, there are some tired jokes. Like, for instance, Rosé made this joke today that, uh, I mean, on, on the reading challenge, where she went, um, she was talking to somebody, she said, you know, your looks are sickening. And then went, but whatever direction, I remember what the, what the end of the joke was, but I was like, we've seen. The, we've it's something se- no one would ever say to you at, at the ball challenge. Yeah, yeah. We've seen that joke before a million times. In fact, to be honest with you, applause to this cast for not doing the tired. Oh, RuPaul, I could never say anything mean to this girls except now. The applause right. to this cast for no one doing that, or at least I'm not showing it. But that joke yeah. is almost as tired as that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, please stop. Uh, another thing too is, um, and I, I know you like explaining things to the children. Again, going with things that like require explanations for the casual fan, which they don't give a shit about anymore. There was a Dorian Corey reference, which I was like, <laughs> does the casual fan get this? No. And I didn't get that ju- just from other than that she's weird. Oh, but you don't know I this? Don't- Oh, you no, see, I, I mean, I know who Dorian Corey is. No, no, I, no, I know. No, no, no. Hold on for a second. Okay, this is this is the thing. Because even if you watch Paris is Burning, you wouldn't know this. This doesn't happen in in Paris is Burning. But a few years after Paris is Burning, Tor- Dorian Corey dies. No, I know that. Yeah. I know that. I yes. know that's part of the story. But yeah. okay, so okay. Well, I should ahead. explain it anyway. So Dorian Corey, who is a big, she's sort of like the elder drag queen who's commenting on things. In fact, she's the one that's like. Shade is the real uh, is the real uh, art form, you know. Blah blah blah. blah explains yeah. reading and shade and stuff like that. She's the old drag queen who does this in in Paris is Burning, and she dies. And after she dies, and they're going through her things, there's a chest, like a, uh, mm-hmm. a, a like a well, like a wardrobe chest, and they open it, and there's a dead body inside, and it was mummified. huh a mummified. Mum- yeah a mummified body in the chest. And it turns out it was, they think it were, they know it was her ex-boyfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the apology, I think what the apology, so to speak, for her is that I think he used to physically abuse her. And so they think that she killed him in a, in a, bed, a burning bed kind of way. Oh, that needs a reference too. But uh, yeah. burning bed is about a, a woman who was beat by her husband or whatever, abused, and she killed him. She burned the bed. And that was a case. She got him really drunk to where he passed out, and then she like tied him to the bed and then set the bed on fire. Yeah, and then she went to court, and she was found innocent or guilty. 
I don't remember, but it was based on it was a movie, a TV movie starring Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so uh, that would be a great rewatch to see <laughs> the Burning Bed. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so they make that joke, but they make no explanation of that joke or anything like that. But yeah, they're about kind of where the body. Who is it for? Utica. Utica. Yeah, yeah. That they said the Dorian Corey of this season. Yeah, because because like, the joke is she has bodies buried somewhere. She's so creepy. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I bet, but it ju- it just seemed to come out of nowhere. But yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Elliot's reads was terrible. And by the way, you know, RuPaul, of course, he's gonna fucking beat this joke. Like in other words, when she first said Utica, Utica, when she first said that, I laughed. Now she says it every single fucking time, and I'm I'm over it. Same thing mm-hmm. with this Simonier. So funny. I know we're going to hear it 700 times. I'll be like, okay, enough RuPaul with the Simonier, right? And obviously yeah. in reference that Raven Simone says her name, his last name is pronounced Simonier. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> Simone, she calls her Simonier, which is so funny. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, that were my thoughts on the, but the reading challenge I thought was solid. I thought, look, look, they're not, they're not professional comedians, you know? Uh, so I, I was fine with the reading challenge. Uh, okay, let's move on. Next, <coughs> by the way, once again, deep dive on the reading challenge in tomorrow's rumor mail only at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. Next, RuPaul announces this week's maxi challenge. It's an improv talk show challenge called Bossy Rossi, the reboot. The girls are divided into teams with predetermined premises. The teams are as follows. Uh, Rosé, Lala, Ree, and Denali are in the one called I'm Pregnant with My Imaginary Boyfriend's Baby. Gottmik, Utica, and Olivia are in Breaking My Silence, Escape from the Cult of Mimeology. Simonier and Candy are former teen queens. Where are they now? And Tina Burner and Elliot with two T's are in My Best Friend's 600-Pound Ass is Killing Our Friendship. Uh, the queens separate into groups to prepare for the improv maxi challenge. Tina is confident in her own abilities, but worries that Elliot will bring her down. Candy and Simone play White Valley Girls. White Valley Girls, I'm sorry. Candy vows to try something different. Simone worries about Candy's choices. Rosé encourages Lala and Utica, uh, I'm sorry, Lala and Utica feels very confident about her improv skills. Meanwhile, Olivia and Utica want the same part, but Olivia stands her ground and lands the role. Taylor, your thoughts on everything that happened in the workroom uh, in preparation for this maxi challenge? I think it's standard boilerplate uh, planning for skits or planning for challenges of where you have the two girls fighting for the same role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have the, where the one girl, they're not sure if the one girl's going to do really well. And then they end up kind of doing really well where they're, they're, they're at the tops. Um, and you have the opposite of where the girl, the one girl goes, you know, I have, I have extensive experience in improv and then she ends up at the bottom. It's, we've seen this every single season with each mm-hmm. of these girls. I don't really have a lot to talk about any of those particular, um, that that particular arc or that particular act of the story, but that's just kind of it was like okay, well, you, as soon as Utica said, "I have extensive improv," it's like okay, well, she'll be in the bottom this week. Yeah. You, know, you know, you just sort of know ahead of time. Well, yeah. What's funny though is I don't know whether to talk about this now or in the actual challenge. Let's talk about this a little bit now. Maybe I'll get more into it in the challenge itself. The problem is, is that you can tell that these premises are so tightly structured. And I feel the queens are at their strongest when you let them loose. 
And mm-hmm. when you so tightly structure them, then the, the, that's why the, the, they feel so canned. Because they have to hit these certain beats that the writers have set up. And uh, where it's not in true improv, they could form the story themselves in the workroom and then act it out. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I feel like whoever had that role of the mime, whether it was Utica or Olivia, either one was going to do very well. Like, yeah. I know we're saying about Utica, but the mime being... Imagine Utica in that same role. She would have been awesome. She would have been awesome. It has to do with that role in particular, where the role that Utica played as the mother is a more difficult role. Now, I will say, where Utica... And we'll talk about this in the challenge itself. Uh, if she really had the improv experience that she did, then she would have been able to turn that mother role into something more. To be honest with you, and we'll again, we'll talk about this in the challenge... Gottmik is low key the real strength of that sketch because if you think about I, it, and we'll talk yes. about the challenge. Gottmik is the one that's interpreting what Olivia is doing. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's doing the real work, but she's almost like again a lesson for the children. We'll come back to this when we discuss it. Gottmik is exhibiting the same sort of strength that former SNL star Phil Hartman had. Where Phil Hartman was often called on on SNL behind the scenes, sort of like the glue, in that in a sketch, Phil Hartman wasn't necessarily the funny one, but he held the sketch together and drove it, and mm-hmm. was so strong at improv that he could do that. Like actually, if you want to, you know, the Chris Farley uh, down by the river sketch, watch that sketch again, but look at Phil Hartman. He's the only one really keeping – it could have totally gone off the rails, and he's keeping it where it's supposed to be because he was such a pro. And so uh, and so, whoever was that mime was going to do well. That, that role was meant to shine. And so, uh, but, and so maybe Utica, you know, and maybe it's just sort of Utica's nature. I think she gave up a little too easily. Uh, oh, she definitely gave up easy where she was like, you can have the part where she just seemed, it seemed very defeated mm-hmm. in that. Moment. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, Taylor, do you have any other thoughts on this uh, workroom thing? I think you said you don't. All right. So why don't we no. do this on this at the, right here? Why don't we take a break and we'll be back right after this. Right, uh, it's time for the Maxi Challenge presentation uh, for the Bossy Rossi Show After Dark. Uh, we're just going to jump right into it, Taylor, and talk about uh, okay. our favorite things here. Is not favorite, but each each scene here. First is Team Rose, Denali, and Lala with "I'm pregnant with my imaginary boyfriend's baby." Uh, in, in this one, Rosé is pregnant. Everyone's pregnant. There's Rosé is pregnant with it. She has an imaginary friend. Rosé's character has an imaginary friend. Imaginary boyfriend. Yeah. And the imaginary boyfriend's cheating on her with Denali. And then a therapist comes in to help them work it out. But when she does, she reveals she's also pregnant with the imaginary boyfriend's baby. And then the, the finale is that it's the, the baby is the imaginary boyfriend, not the father of any of the babies. Yes. What were your thoughts on this sketch? My first thought was the set was enormous. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of, I was just like, wow, this is a really big set for a drag race episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I thought that they were fine, I guess. I don't get why we... The, the idea of everybody immediately going to kind of this like white trash trailer park type thing just seemed very uh, lowest common denominator. I would have, it would have been interesting if they had taken a different twist with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess they both had leopard, so they figured they could wear they could wear leopard in that way. Um, it was it was okay. I thought that Lala Re definitely was low energy compared to the other girls, and I liked the fact that they had all of the other girls watching the skits and commenting on them and laughing at some of the stuff. I thought that was that was something that I don't know that we've seen before with the improv skits in the past. Um, so that was good. But I, uh, you know, when Lala did make the, where she lifted up the shirt and I think then that's what she realized suddenly, Oh shit, it doesn't match the, my skin color. The fact that she was quick enough to say something I thought was a good thing for her, but ultimately it wasn't enough to save her. It was, it was okay. They did do something like that on drag race UK season one, where the other contestants watched them doing their sketches. Um, mm. So I have a different opinion from you. So watching them do the sketches is a very clever way to have the editors shape what you believe about the sketch. Because you see okay. the girls say something, and then you, uh, in turn, may think the same thing. And because I actually low-key think... Let me look at the other ones here. Hmm... I don't know if I think it was the strongest sketch, but it was up there, and a lot of the credit goes to Rosé and Denali, who were low-key much stronger than people give them credit for. Rosé clearly does, without touting it, have experience in improv. Uh-huh. And which I think and I think Lori will address this. I believe technically this is a sketch, because it's pre-written. You know, like it's predetermined. They already practiced it. I believe in improv, it's like Ross would have been like, you're a submarine in the desert, you know? And then you'd make right. it up on the spot. There's, there's bullet points they have to hit. Yeah. So I think where they just, they say, you're a submarine, you're the desert, you're a banana, go kind of yeah. thing. And then they just kind of create a story yeah. on their own. Yeah. I, I believe she said that with some of the other improv challenge episodes that you guys have done on yeah. the rumor mill. Yeah. So I believe this is technically a sketch, but so we'll call them what they are sketches. And I believe she has sketch experience because it was, and I think got Mick does too. It was controlled. It was going with it. It was following the flow. It wasn't trying necessarily to control it, but taking the actions and playing and building on what was being built in the sketch. And mm-hmm. I think Denali did a fair job at that, that in low key, were stronger than a lot of the other girls. The problem, especially, I'm going to go back to like high school or or something. But when you often see amateur improv or sketch or or even people who are new to it or whatnot, it always devolves into screaming or sex or or making out, which a lot of these did because they can't think of a clever ending. It goes to like a, a, the 600 pound ass one, like, oh God, now they're going to start making out and falling on the floor, making out. That, that makes no sense, right? It's dumb. Or even with the one where Olivia won for it, the mime starts screaming and running around like a crazy person. And so, yeah. um, it's, it's lazy sketch writing. That's going to be the ending is screaming around and yelling. And so I think from a sketch standpoint, again, I don't know what Lori thinks, you know, our icon. Lori thinks we'll find out tomorrow. But I would also think that given where they were talking about these big 
personalities that everybody had to have. Like even like on the judges panel, they were talking about, you know, you have this personality, you needed to meet their level of, you know, outrageousness, outrageousness, uh, you know, to, not to defend the the making out, the rolling around the screen, but you can only go so far because if you bring it back down, a lot of these girls aren't trained enough, I would think, to bring it back down to where it's still fun to watch and not feeling deflated, where it suddenly deflates. No, but you can do it. Uh, I feel actually that this episode had it. You know, the ending, there was an ending that wasn't screaming and yelling, even though it went there. And by the way, I don't think, look, did Lala read, she wasn't up to the snuff of uh, Denali and Rose? Sure, but she wasn't as horrible as they try to make it out on the judges panel. She was just yeah. not at the same level that they were, if that makes sense. So, yeah. uh, so that was my opinion on that one. Again, we'll go in depth on the rumor mill. Next, we have Team Utica, Gottmik, and Olivia. There's called Breaking My Silence, Escape from the Cult of Mimology. Lot to discuss on this one. Uh, your thoughts here? Um, this probably was my favorite, and I'm using that word loosely. <laughs> of the four mm-hmm. um i thought that i thought that olivia did a good job i th- i thought all of them to varying degrees utica i think i get what utica was trying to do when she first came in where she was going on and on about the coffee and i think that was just to show that she is a talker and that that's part of the reason why olivia stopped talking um and went into mime but then it went to this weird place of where she's just like, I can't take the noise. I can't take the noise where Olivia wasn't even trying to say anything yet. She wasn't even where she was like doing anything with her hands. She was just kind of watching Utica do that. I can't take the noise. I can't take the noise. Isn't that the joke tr- though? Right. But I mean, it'd be one thing if Utica, if, if Olivia was doing something where she was trying to do something or pretending she was in a box or whatever it is that mimes do. And then her saying, I can't, I can't take all the noise you're making, but she was literally not doing anything at all. And then it turned into with the screaming and the yelling, that sort of stuff. Um, But I, you know, I thought Gottmik was good. You talked about Gottmik kind of being the glue that kind of kept the skit together. And I feel like she was good at giving Olivia cues as to what to do where she's running now she stopped running because she's tired but now she's going to do that and olivia was it was sort of this where they were definitely in sync with one another as far as you know description description of what she's doing and action i thought worked really well for that team utica i think could have fleshed out that character more or there could have been could have been utilized in a way that they could have been they could have all been like a winning team for that somebody wrote me a message I don't know if it was on Instagram. I don't know if it was at Drag Race Recap at gmail.com. I don't know if it was at Joe Batanz at Afterthought.media or Drag Race Re. I don't know that a million places it could be, right? But I got a message from someone who made a point that I actually didn't agree with, where they were saying that Gottmik um, was is being sort of protected because she's well connected in Hollywood, right? That her parents are somehow connected. I don't know that. I don't know where who her parents are or anything like that. But I don't think that show would do that, believe it or not. I just think that they just like the idea of a trans. I think that the, her being trans supersedes that. And so she's uh-huh. getting a hero edit. By the way, Gottmik this week proves that she's, she's got the skills. I want people to know that. I just felt last, sometimes her, her, her flaws are overlooked and uh, whatnot. But, um, uh, what could be the case if she grew up in LA, son, uh, uh, uh yeah, the son of, uh, uh, Hollywood people or show business people is that she was 
put through, uh, like, a lot of kids in L.A. go through improv classes and, and sketch classes when they're very young. You know, just like a summer camp kind of thing. And so she may have been, I don't know if she did or not, because she has a sophistication that someone who has not experienced, in other words, Gottmik has never sold herself as a theater queen or acting queen. She sells herself right. as, a, as a look queen, a fashion queen, but she has the sort of savvy of someone who has been, has taken an improv and sketch class. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she may have as a kid in some sort of like summer's camp thing done it. Uh, but I think Gottmik was low key the glue of this sketch. Um, again, Olivia shined here. I don't think she was as strong as people think she was. She was fine, you know, and she did a good job. I think a lot of it, it was a character was easy because Gottmik made her good because Gottmik, she would, you know, make the box and Gottmik was saying, Oh, she's saying this, you know, and that was where the humor was. And then, um, uh, and then Utica, again, going back to, uh, my original statement, she said something again. I'm going to want Lori to watch that moment in the workroom where she said, Oh, I am so good at improv and sketch. In fact, I'm a scene stealer. I would say, <laughs> I would venture to argue that that's something they would not want you to do because improv and sketch are about a group. It is not a solo effort. It is a team effort. So anyone that's a right. scene stealer is seen as a weakness in that they want to tamper that. You're supposed to be working for the team. And that's where Utica yeah. failed in that Utica was in trying to be that scene stealer and it just, it, it, it popped the bubble and wasn't, she was focusing on her and, and this weird other story she developed and she wasn't servicing the team effort. And I think came off as cuckoo bananas. Um, okay, that's what I have to say about this. But Olivia was fine, but they, you know, on the runway, they start praising her like she was God's gift, and I, I didn't, I was fine. And then she starts screaming at the end, and I was like, I don't know what's going on here. All right, Team Simone and Candy, they're former teen queens. Uh, where are they now? Uh, Candy plays Tiffany gibson which is a play on the the pop star in the 80s tiffany and then debbie gibson which simone's name uh, is okay simone's yeah. name is deborah uh-huh. for deborah gibson so it's debbie gibson and tiffany and they made a play okay. on it and mix it up uh and then as you pointed out yeah the, simone's is very layered you're right they don't call attention to it but she does have an ankle bracelet on also, she does that thing where she uh, has a different candle, which is actually very funny. For every emotion, there's a different candle. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this sketch? I thought that Simone was definitely very strong, mm-hmm. but I feel okay. I feel I feel like Simone was strong. I didn't get why Candy was getting all of the praise that she did, because all she really did was she just was sort of, you know, she was saying, "Well, I have to be something different. I can't be this loud." So then she just had to be quiet, which is fine. But then you're also playing somebody that was a teen celebrity who I can't imagine who's trying to like claw their way back. So to be quiet like that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to me. Like she was very flat to me. Simone, I liked the character that I liked Deborah, Mm -hmm. but Deborah felt like Simone. I feel like. We have seen this particular character with the cadence, the way that she talks, with the whole, you know, where they did the whole RuPaul, RuPaul Mark Channel with the factory, and and we're going to we're going to take a word and we're going to shift it a little bit, and it's a fun character to watch, 
but it's not like I want to see something completely different from her as far as an acting challenge goes. I mean, I guess that's fair. I don't know if I agree with. It. I mean, I thought I didn't notice. I didn't pick up on it. But even if she did, I'm like, I'm fine with. It. I mean, these girls with these girls aren't improv actresses or whatever. But going, to- I mean, even even the even the reading challenge, she kind of did that too, where yeah. she did the you know the very darling. This is what yeah. I feel, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so she kind of is. I don't want to say Simone is one note because as her look shows this week, I mean, she has amazing looks every uh-huh. single week. So in that regard, she's amazing. And at the acting, it's a fun character. It's kind of. Like, and this this could create a whole this could create a whole other side. You know, the first time that we saw Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids, people loved her, mm-hmm. and then it became well. Now we are just always going to play the awkward fat girl that falls down. So now, whenever she's in a movie, that's guaranteed. That's always in the trailer where they show her kind of falling down or doing something silly, doing something physical, and you're sort of like, okay, we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I'm starting to feel about Simone and her acting. All right, very good. Uh, now look. I agree with you. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Candy Muse, I wouldn't say she was horrible, but bordered on weak. She brought nothing. The energy was low. And on the mm-hmm. judges panel, they fucking ate that up. Because she said, you bitch, to Ross, right? And Ross was like, oh, that was, he got his life from that. And I was like, because she said, you bitch? And that's why I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of producer on set prodding of things because why would Ross say that? And they're using Ross as a mouthpiece for production. It, ha- it happened last year where, like, when Gigi did that Snatch Game character, that was fine. But they made you mi- they made you think it was, like, the strongest Snatch Game character in all history. Because she did the robot yes. and she said, fuck you to the audience. And Ross was just, like, dying. Just like, that was the greatest thing ever. And it's the same thing here, where it's just like Candy says, "You bitch," and he's like, "But and I don't." And I, don't, by the way, I have much more respect for Ross's sense of humor. I don't think that's true. I think mm-hmm. they were they're pushing the the, the onset storyline. Story producers are telling the judges, "We need to push this," and now we're doing this with Candy. Blah 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 blah. So on stage, Candy got all this credit for that sketch. She was mediocre at best. At best, at best, she was safe. You could even make an argument for that sketch that she was on the bottom. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think why, Maybe, but like, like she was at best safe and they were giving her all this praise. And yet she's, you know, and we're going to get to this. Um, I feel the producers are intentionally fucking with Rose and Denali and not putting them on the main stage and just always making them safe, which is driving these type A gays absolutely batshit bonkers. <laughs> Do they talk about this on Untucked? Yes. Okay. They did. They don't understand why they're both safe. They don't understand. <laughs> they just want critiques. Yeah. They just want to show what they can do. Yeah. And they do that, that is literally the first five to ten minutes of Untucked. And then Denali is trying to talk and everybody is talking over and she eventually gets up and she walks away. Where she's like, I can't. Because you know it's what? Rose and Tina and who was the other one that was safe? Gottmik. We're all kind of talking over her, and she just was just like, I don't get it. I don't understand. You know what's so funny is on Reddit, because they were talking about how they're being jammed on the show and meaning like they're being ignored and they do these strong performances and only get safe. And they referred to Denali as Ice Jan and Rose as Pink Jan. So, (laughs) which is so funny because it's so true. Ice Jan and Pink Jan. Uh,. Yeah, so I feel Simone was I look it's so funny. Why Candy was in the top for a look that was good, but and but a performance that was lackluster at best. 
and Simone gave me a strong performance here and a very strong look. And she was, Simone was just safe, right? No, Simone was in the top. Oh, okay. All right. Then deserved. All right. Finally, we have Team Tina Burner and Elliot with two T's, my best friends. 600 pound ass is killing our friendship. Your thoughts on this sketch, Taylor? Tina was strong. I thought Tina was strong. Um, and Elliot, I, I get what you're saying as far as the where it just kind of turns into chaos with making out and rolling around on the ground mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah. I thought that she definitely started out weak and then kind of went up as far as she, she definitely matched Tina as far as the energy towards the end of the skit. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she, it felt like she, they, you know, well, they talk about it because we were supposed to secretly be in love with each other. There was nothing leading up to the part of where they started making out that really kind of showed that. Mm-hmm. So it felt like the characters weren't fleshed out at all. Yeah. Look, I think Tina was strong, maybe safe, strong, mm-hmm. but strong. And uh, Elliot was weak. But again, to me, if, 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 if I'm the judges panel, you could make an argument that Elliot shouldn't have been in the bottom. You could also make an argument that Lala shouldn't have been in the bottom. I feel Utica for sure should have been in the bottom. For sure. And uh, So who would have been in the bottom for you? I would have put Utica and then, gosh, it would depend on the runway for Lala or Elliot. Uh that's who would go in the bottom. I'd have to look at the runway thing. I'll look at the looks again. But it would go on that. Okay. I might say Elliot. I might say Elliot and Utica. I would say I would say Utica, Candy, and Elliot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Candy should have definitely been in the bottom three, for sure. I don't know if Lala... I, okay, whatever. All right. Let's go to Elimination Day and the Queen's return to the workroom to get ready for the runway. Simone discusses her issues with self-doubt and shares the story of her brother's conviction for armed robbery. The, this event leads Simone to strive to be perfect for her mother. Elliot reveals to Tina that Elliot struggled with clinical depression, and Tina gives Elliot a shoulder to lean on. Finally, Lala Ree and Candy Muse reenact their own version of Maury. Taylor, your thoughts on this elimination day? Great mirror moments this week. Yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was something that we don't – we've heard the – okay, first talking about Simone, we see this a lot in family dynamics as far as when one – one child is, you know, makes mistakes or does something that creates havoc in the family. Another child sort of becomes the cheerleader or the one that keeps everybody together or, you know, becomes the person that has the, the, the life, the lifesaver sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that Simone talked about this and then talking about the fact that because she had to be so perfect as her, as a son, that she created Simone as somebody who can fuck up and be you know, have that release and be, you know, chaotic at times if she needed to be. I thought that was a great way to, a great way to talk about compartmentalization and to talk about, you know, that we all need to have that release sometimes. And the fact that Simone is that for her is, is great. I thought, I thought that that was a great explanation of part of the definition of who Simone is. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that before I move on? No, to the I, I, I actually believe you're, you're totally articulating everything that I felt in a much more obviously with experienced way that I don't, th- I don't know if I could really add to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the next sex segment, which was uh, Elliot and Tina, I talked about it a little bit as one of my favorite moments in the, uh, in the, in the beginning of the show was talking about, we so often hear about anxiety um, 
with these girls and they talk about being anxious, it's very rare that I feel like we talk about depression and particularly clinical depression. So, and the fact that Elliot was able to talk about the fact and that she used the phrase chemical imbalance, I thought was great education for people who think that depression is just, well, you know, just stop being sad or, you know, watch a TV show or, you know, take a bubble bath or, you know, whatever it is that they say as far as, you know, for self-care stuff. Self-care stuff is recognizing when you are in that place and working to get out of it and doing some things that aren't necessarily fun, whether that is taking medications, which often come with side effects or seeing a therapist or sometimes just allowing yourself to be in it for a little while, knowing that, you know, if you allow it to the wave to hit you, that you can come out of it on your own, I thought was a great education moment. And it allowed us an opportunity to see a more human side of Tina than we've really seen um, through the, through this uh, season so far. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more Uh, as someone who uh, has suffered from clinical depression, who's on medication Mm -hmm. uh, that I feel is, even though it's so funny, I'm on the lowest, I'm literally on the dose that a 12 year old girl would have. But that said, there have been times where I forgot to take it a bunch of times and I'll get like for one day, I'll just get plunged into a deep depression. And, um, and it reminds me like, Nope, you gotta take your fucking medication every day. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it can be a chemical thing where it's like, why would you, that's like blaming somebody for, you know, ugh, well just don't have cancer. You know, or don't, yeah. you know, don't have diabetes, you know, like, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just a thing that your body just doesn't produce enough serotonin. And so, like, you need to have something that regulates it. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, too, though, is uh, my question to you is, and I'm going to pose another question to you. Yeah, yeah, they were making Elliot, I'm sorry, Tina more sympathetic. Well, let's actually talk about both of them. Like I told you, there is that outside information that. Which the editors probably, you know, these, these shows are edited and packaged before the show comes out and the Elliot stuff came out later. But, um, in light of what we know about Elliot, what does that mean about, is he still a sympathetic person? But also, uh, Tina, do you feel a little manipulated now? Cause now, are you starting to see like, oh, now here's the arc where Tina's very sympathetic and we're going to see it like it's super heavy handed. You don't feel that way or you, you, you go with it. I feel that there was part of me when she was talking about her mom and the eyes got very wet while she was talking in in the confessional. There was part of me, you know, this is horrible to say, but I'm like, okay, are we like, are we pinching our arm out of shot really hard to like make ourselves like to get that tearful moment? Or is this genuine, you know? And I think that that is an unfortunate, that's an unfortunate after effect of just watching Tina over the first six episodes and seeing who she is of this, that I don't know if I like her or not yet. So I feel like the confessional didn't necessarily do her any good, but the actual conversation she was having with Elliot was more, felt more real. Like, like, and you could tell, you could tell more so just with body language. Like, normally it feels like when she's walking around or when she's standing around, she's very chest out and very, you know, va, 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 boom kind of thing. Whereas this was, she was just, she was sitting and she was listening to Elliot talk and she was having a conversation where she was commiserating with Elliot about her experiences with a family member with clinical depression. And even like her face looked different, you know, in having the conversation. Whereas the, you know, the confessionals, 
and I get that there's, you know, they're in various stages of makeup and there's lighting and stuff that are a little bit different, but there was something about her that I thought she's having an actual conversation with Elliot. This isn't just a, this isn't just a, oh, this will get me screen time kind of thing. Um, but, but, so in that regard, I appreciated that. So yes, I feel like the producers are manipulating me in some way or manipulating the audience. Uh, and maybe, but this might be where, I mean, they can't have everybody be nice in the very beginning of the show because that's where you see their, that's, that's this, that's the last season of where it's RuPaul's best friends race. Whereas, so maybe they are kind of staggering who you're supposed to like and who you're not supposed to like. I don't know. Yeah. But then that's where you go to the fairness of the editing and who they, who they like and don't like. And, and, and in other words, so like, has this always been who Tina is? Remember, in previous episodes, I've said, Got Mick seems like a very kind, wonderful person. Why is she hanging out with Candy and Tina? Now, maybe this is something because the cameras are off, you know, they're not on 100% of the time, and we're not seeing it. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours that we're not seeing. Maybe Got Mick has seen this more tender side of them. We just haven't seen it. And what's the fairness of that? What does that say, you know, about uh the the truth of what we're seeing, the reality of what we're seeing. You know, uh, it reminds me of, uh, like, I, I thought about that this morning. I gotta, I gotta, you know, crystallize this thought more, but about how, um, it had to do with candy and, uh, you know, seizing on the way that she's being portrayed i just remember i was saying has my question was maybe i'll have to walk it backwards has rupaul's drag race become professional wrestling rather than a reality show in uh. that acting like you know i don't know why this related to candy but it was uh you know like it's like if hulk hogan really thought he was the champion and he really won these matches you know, I've seen actually to, to not go away from professional wrestling. I've seen this very silly thing, but I have to walk backwards how I got there. I seen this very silly thing where like George Takei has gotten mad at William Shatner, and one of the things he gets mad about is that you know in such and such Star Trek movie, uh, Sulu Captain Sulu was was uh, Sulu was promoted to captain, so he's also a captain. He's the same. I'm like, this is a fake world. Captain yeah. Kirk isn't real, and you're Sulu. You're not really a captain, George Takei. You know, and right. so uh, it's the same thing here where they start to buy into the character, create into the edit. But I can't remember who it is. And I have to walk it backwards. All right, Taylor. With that said, it is now time for the looks. Woohoo! This is where I turn the show over to you. All right. So let's get to the looks. Okay. As soon as they come up on my. Uh, as soon as they come up on my Discord, which, okay, now they are finally starting to come up. So, let's see. Let's talk about who came out first, and that was Denali. Wait, do you Denali want to comment on Rue's look first? I know you always have to comment on Rue's oh, look. I loved Rue's look. She came out in a beaded red a gown with a slit right up the side, and her hair looked great, and just absolutely beautiful. A lot of her looks this season so far, both on this show and on UK, I've really enjoyed what they're doing with her. Mm -hmm. um, I've also noticed that, I mean, this is the opposite of what I'm saying. They're showing, they're just showing a lot of leg with her lately. And I really, really like that. All right, go ahead. All right. So first up is Denali who came out with a, uh, in a chandelier inspired beaded dress. The, the, the category tonight was beat it. So mm -hmm. everything was supposed to have beads to it. Uh, mm -hmm. And a um, and a 1930s inspired uh, 
finger finger curl no not finger curl what's the word a, a short wig uh she looks beautiful and i i loved the i loved how detailed and intricate it was so this was a great look for me as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. for Denali. Next up is Rosé, who came out in a pony bead inspired uh, Tinkerbell type outfit with the big bun in her hair. And uh, I feel like she definitely did the yellow instead of green for copyright, <laughs> for possible copyright infringement. Uh-huh. Um, fun look. I thought that the look was, it was, it definitely was very intricate and probably took forever to glue all of those beads in those patterns together. So in that regards, I thought she looked great. So it was a great look. All right. Next up is La La Rie, who came out in a one of the first of Mardi Gras-inspired outfits with a little short beaded skirt and beaded top. Um, I didn't notice the rip on the side until they talked about it during Judge's oh, deliberation. Oh, don't get me started on this. <laughs> so clearly Michelle knows the story, right? Because she says to her, oh, I see there was rip on the side. Things happen, right? So something happened where the, yeah. it ripped, right? And she goes, but it's your job, so I don't see it. Really, Michelle? Really? Make sure you, RuPaul is over there. We're wearing pajamas. And now we have to, Lala Ree has to make sure that Michelle doesn't see it. If you know why the fucking rip is there, shut your fucking mouth. It's poor. Sorry, Lala Ree isn't perfection. All right? God, this Michelle gets me. She's back with being the horrible human being that she is. <laughs> make sure I don't see it. Who the fuck are you? Who, when did you become the editor of Vogue? What's the name of the editor in Vogue? With the glasses and the hair? Uh, Anna, Anna Wintour. Wintour. When did she become Anna Wintour? So, okay. So in that regards, though, I guess the question is where she says, make sure I don't see it. What is she supposed to That's do? That's what I'm saying. Is this what, because if she held her arm to her side the whole time she was walking, then there would have been a comment on that. Yeah, well, yeah, you're exactly, that's my point. If there was a yeah. rip that happened at some point when it was too late to do something, what was she supposed to do, Michelle? If you know that's the reason, ugh. Sorry. Yeah. Go so, ahead. So anyway, I I thought the, the thought the outfit was very cute. I didn't realize that it was the Mardi Gras colors until you got close ups. I just thought it was sort of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a fan of La Larie's hair and makeup this week, though. I thought that it was it the hair was too, there was too much volume around, not enough up top, but too much mm-hmm. on the sides to where her face almost got hidden. And you could tell, especially at times when she was dancing, the hair kept getting I don't know if it was getting stuck in the makeup or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a miss is normal. Normally I love La Larry's hair and makeup and this time it was not, it was not my favorite. So miss there. So Gottmik came out in an anal bead inspired latex outfit, uh, which was very mod inspired with the mini skirt. Uh, okay. I mean, we've sort of seen this before with the beaded head, the beaded headdress. It made sense, I guess, but it was just sort of like, okay. Mm hmm. Not my favorite. Kind of forgettable, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Olivia Lux came out in a very 1990s-inspired airbrushed little girl outfit with uh, with big braided, uh, braided hair with beads in it. I thought that the look was fun. It definitely speaks, I think, to the brand of Olivia Lux, of where she can kind of get away with being that sort of, like, little kid mm-hmm. look. Um, I also thought that it was very inventive use of beads, you know, mm-hmm. when you think beads, a lot of the other stuff is whether it's a beaded gown or, you know, in Gottmik's case, anal beads. But I thought to do like hair braid beads, you know, pon- the beads for, for ponytails and stuff, I thought was very, very cute. So next up is Utica, who came out in a bloody wedding dress um, that had beads all over it. 
And I thought they were going to read her for wearing the same wig she wore in the sleeping bag outfit. Um, but they didn't, or they didn't show that if that's the case. I didn't quite get this look. I didn't quite understand the whole, the, 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 like the, the, the structure of the wedding dress, but there's like red underneath and then there's all of the red on the, the whole thing. I, I feel like it could have been executed differently for the challenge. It just wasn't, it wasn't a favorite look of mine. Um, I'm assuming you have nothing to say about any of these. No. No. Okay. So next up is Candy Muse. Candy Muse came out in a fur wrap with a wide brim hat, wearing a uh, a beaded bodysuit with her breasts popped out the top of it and little pasties on her nipples. Um, hair pulled back in sort of a very pale pink, almost a rose gold uh, ponytail. Uh, I thought she looked great. I thought that I would have liked to have seen more body from her. I feel like she kind of hid behind the wrap just so that way she could show off more of the beads. I guess if I had one critique from this, it would be, I think that the beads hanging off the brim of the hat took away from being able to see her face and stuff. I would have liked them to have gone. She seems to definitely had enough beads in other places to where she would have still met the criteria for the look without having something that was almost a distraction. Next up, we have Simone, who comes out in an African-inspired beaded uh, chest plate and and skirt, sort of a loincloth type skirt. Best look of the night. Th- this was such a strong, strong look at her hair in braids where she had her name spelled in the back in braids in the back of it, which we saw actually Jada, Jada Essence Hall did a photo shoot where she had something similar in that uh, dur- either during her season or right after her season. So it was still just, this was just an absolutely amazing look. She has an amazing body. And I thought that this accentuated every part of it in all the right ways. Definitely favorite look. Yes. I raised my hand, everyone. Uh, RuPaul was fawning over this outfit. And I was like, oh, well, RuPaul's wearing that next season. (laughs) Whenever RuPaul, like, she's going to steal it. It means I'm going to steal it. Remember with this Naomi Smalls and the book ball look? And the next season, RuPaul. Yeah. In fact, it's like that—that's the look that they always show as if RuPaul invented that look. I'm like, mm, you just stole it from Naomi Smalls. Yeah. Uh, next up is Tina Burner, who came out with a almost like a uh, a uh, not mannequin, uh, like a Harley Quinn inspired outfit with beaded cones that she then took off and had beaded pasties on. Uh, at least she's moving away from red, orange, and yellow. So I will say that. But I thought this look was not a very strong look at all. I thought it was kind of like it just was like baggy and and not and ill fitting. Um, I, I get. I'm glad that she took the the tops off to show the breasts, but otherwise it was like ugh, whatever. Um, and that was the second of the Mardi Gras looks. And the third one was definitely inspired was Elliot with two T's who came out in a flapper's dress that was done with uh, with uh, beads, Mardi Gras beads. And I thought this look was great. I thought she looked great in it. It was a really strong look from Elliot. And it was very pretty and seemed to have a lot of detail to it. So that was definitely a look that I liked as well. 
And that's all the looks. Those are the looks. All right. Moving on on the main stage, Olivia Lux earns her second Maxi Challenge win in a row. Elliot with two Ts and La La Ree are placed in the bottom to foresee them to engage in a lip sync battle for their lives. The song, A Whole Lot of Woman by Kelly Clarkson. In the end, Elliot is told Shantae you stay while La La Ree is asked to sashay away. Taylor Latte Boy, any final thoughts on the episode? In particular, do you think Olivia Lux should have won this challenge? Um, I think that she was a strong contender to win. I, I think it could have gone either to her or Simone. I, I think agree. either I one of them Simone. could have actually could have actually been the winner of this. But I mean, I'm not mad that she won, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, look, ultimately, this was this was not one of my favorite episodes. And I can't believe there's still nine girls left. Yeah. And also, uh, Roseanne Denali could have had, like, maybe Denali, could, she should have been on that main stage and per, like, instead of Candy and, uh, could have been a contender too because she was strong in the challenge. Her look was strong. Rose, let me look at Rose's look here. Uh, she was the second one out. Um, I don't know if I would have put Rose in the strong category for that look, but, um, mm-hmm. but definitely Denali should have had a shot, you know, at the top. To be on that main stage, uh, it's a little interesting. What and, I, and like I said before, I feel personally, La La Ree had the personality, she had the charm, she had the charisma, the uniqueness, the nerve, and the talent in that lip sync. I didn't see that from Elliot, and I'm sort of sick of shablams and splits, and they don't win me over anymore. They're nice to see on television, but I felt La La really brought it. I felt La La won that lip sync. Well, and I, you mentioned before about Gottmik, and I thought Gottmik's comment. And sort of the lingering of the shot of her, she said, this was the first time I wasn't bored with two splits in a row. Mm -hmm. I thought was an odd thing to put in when you're supposed to be kind of talking about the positives. You you know, whenever they go to confessionals of girls during the lip sync, it either seems where they're like, oh, my God, Elliot was turning it out. Or, you know, we're like, Charlie Hydes is just standing there. We don't understand why. So for her to kind of give this backhanded compliment and sort of this look where she kind of like leaned forward and kind of – I thought that was a very – weird like you know you you and i have talked about or you in particular very eloquently talked about the whole idea of are the producers protect protecting gottmik because they don't want to be seen as beating up on the trans contestant Mm -hmm. and i'm starting to i'm starting to kind of watch with that lens of like are they just sort of not showing the mean side of gottmik because i thought that was sort of a that was sort of a shitty thing to say to somebody who's lip syncing for their life. Yeah. And I would be curious if at some point Gottmik does have to lip sync for her life, how she does mm-hmm. compared to something like that. Because what that tells me is that maybe she's not a, she's not a shablam girl or she's not somebody where she has that. She has the prowess. If she's just a look queen, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say just a look queen, but look queens don't always necessarily do really well on the lip sync. Yeah. So is there something where a statement like that is going to come back and bite her in the ass, particularly if at some point she has to lip sync against Elliot? Yeah. You know, uh, I think what you're saying here is that, is that in a weird kind of way, they're tacitly by the way they're by the way they're giving Gottmik a hero edit and uh, selectively showing her flaws or lack thereof. They're tacitly, tacitly acknowledging that the edit affects how the person is perceived. Because if they know that the power of the edit will show their own perception of the character of that person, then they want to protect, they don't want, in other words, you said, quoting me, uh, that the producers don't want to portray 
Elliot, they don't want to give her a villain edit in any kind of way because they're afraid of the blowback for portraying a trans person that way. Meaning that they acknowledge that that a person's drag personas, uh, the perception of their drag persona is based on the way they edit them. Yeah. And that they, that's the power they have over them because they're giving her such a positive because they know the power of that edit. And that speaks to, I think what they're doing is very manipulative and very shitty what they're doing to Denali and Rose. I think, I feel they're doing it on purpose because they, they, both Denali and Rose are type A gays. So I think they're intentionally keeping them safe because Denali and Rose are handing the producers that storyline by saying it bothers them that they're never on the main stage. Right. So then the producers are like, okay, well, we'll just, as long as we can, not put you on the main stage because it will drive you fucking crazy and we will get content out of that in Untucked about how frustrated you are because those are the queens the most who don't want to be saved. They're so type A gay, both of them, that it's driving them crazy. It's funny. But it's cruel at the same time, which let me. Well, and we're, seeing, we're seeing the effects of that with next week's episode, where it looks like the two of them argue for a juicy part on the whatever the unauthorized rusical is that they're doing next week. Yeah, where, they, where, they, where both of them are fighting for that. So where you can see them start to get it is it is emotional manipulation. But that's really what this show is, not only yes. in the part of the contestants, but the part of the viewer as well. Yes, but that's why I'm saying when World of Wonder says, "Oh my stars, why would you be mean to Candy Ho?" Well, go fuck yourself because you know exactly why people are – like, in other words, it is not as if the RuPaul's Drag Race fandom suddenly this season became toxic. They've been toxic. Right. They told Nina Bonina Brown to go kill herself when all she did was lip sync against uh, – Valentina. Valentina. By the way, Nina Bonina Brown's problematic too. But – they know they even remember in season seven at the finale, RuPaul gave a speech because everyone was so mean to Jasmine Masters about don't be cruel online. That was season seven. That was six years ago. That was six yeah. years ago and we were seeing that. That's about when it started. It was six years ago we were seeing it then. And uh so they've known this. So they know that the power of the edit, and that, like I said right now, they know they can do that, and that's why they're being kind and overly kind to Got Mick. And so for them to say, like, oh, my gosh, how are you sending this candy muse? Girl, you dirty done did that, to quote Manila Luzon yeah. in All-Stars 4, uh, no, All-Stars 1, Episode 1, Untucked, right? Yeah. So uh they know what they're doing. And I also have a theory that RuPaul just doesn't give a shit anymore. I don't think she's cared. I'll be honest, I don't think she's cared since All-Stars 3. Right. And so what I mean by that is she's just letting the producers define what the storyline is. I'm sure she weighs in a little bit based on the little that she sees, but I don't feel her involvement as much as in. So, so in other words, she's like, who am I eliminating today? La La Ree. Okay. La La Ree's gone. I don't give a shit. Where's the check? Where's yeah. the limo? I'm out. You know? Um, thank you. That's my whole speech. Taylor, do you have any other thoughts on this episode? Mm, no. Not really. As much as I liked last week's episode, I, I, that, that always, the, the pendulum always swings the other way. We were sort of like, oh, all Taylor's, right. Taylor's looking at the clock. And I was going on my rant and I could see him going, looking at the clock going, oh God. Oh God. I got to go to Publix. And this gay guy, I almost said the F word. This gay guy is. <laughs> 
going on and on and on. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Be sure to join us next week and every week as we continue to discuss, dissect, and deconstruct each brand new episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13. So, for Taylor the Latte Boy and myself, sashay away until next week. Thank you for listening to RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Have something to say? Email us at dragracerecap at afterthought.media. For more Drag Race and LGBTQ content, support us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can follow Tanner the Latte Boy on Instagram and Twitter at P-I-M-C Taylor. Follow Joe Batanz on Instagram at Joe Batanz. That's J-O-E-B-E-T-A-N-C-E. This episode was produced by Luke Stamen. Drag Race Recap is an Afterthought Media podcast. We'll be right back.